0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus
1: Entertainment. We're back. Like promised, John Scholes here. Stan Fengelberg is the guy in the hot seat tonight, courtesy Sanfiru to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. You can reach out to Stan anytime when we're not doing this uh, radio show. Always ready to talk to you. Take care of your uh, particular matter. You can do so, one eight five five eight two one one 821 5900 is how you do that when we're not uh, not on air. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca, which we are going to get through a ton of uh, over the next half hour. So if you have one, uh, if it doesn't show up on this show, it will on a later show. And again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. But we always start off before we dive into the bag of emails, Stand with um, your thoughts. What uh, what do you got cooking today, pal? What are you thinking?
2: Yeah, thanks, John. Well, uh, in terms of the thought of the day, I mean, there's really only one thought I think that's been on everyone's mind for the last week or so since uh, since John Tory uh, resigned from his position, and that's really the the bombshell all around the the scandal. Uh, and really, what I wanted to talk about, John, was re- talk about from an employment standpoint and kind of re- workplace relationships and how that that really is dealt with from an employment law standpoint. So. You know, a lot of people that I've been speaking with about this issue recently have been surprised when I tell them that there really it isn't technically cause or there's nothing really technically wrong with having a consensual relationship with a colleague, and even potentially a subordinate. Uh, ultimately, your employer doesn't have so much control over your your workplace that they can tell you who you can and cannot date. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, what a lot of companies have started doing and to kind of get around this issue and to really tackle it head on is uh, what are essentially disclosure policies. So essentially forcing people to disclose they have the relationship to the company. And then oftentimes the company may make a decision to even move these people apart and not have them have a direct reporting relationship in some instances when that happens. Uh, And really what you know, the issue often becomes in these situations, John, the power imbalance that comes along with the relationship and a subordinate uh, reporting relationship. You you may remember from last year, there was the CEO of McDonald's who had to actually resign over the specific issue. And that's because it's not just about consent, but really, you know, the perception of consent when you have such a power imbalance. Can there truly be consent in that type of relationship? Mm. And the last thing I just wanted to touch on, John, is that it's, you know, especially when companies have these disclosure policies, it's not necessarily, again, the real initial relationship that it amounts to cause. It's the failure to disclose that relationship to the company and deceive that company and essentially breach that policy as well. More often than not in situations of cause, John, it's not the initial action that actually gets people in trouble. It's lying during the investigation or covering uh, things up yeah
1: yeah that makes uh that makes sense so we'll see how this one unfolds as, as things go on for sure i mean you know mr torrey's right you know he's resigned over this so we'll see if anything mm-hmm. else uh, crops off as any more conversation or chatter in that regard uh debbie thank you for uh being uh first off the uh off the hop here how are you
3: i'm not too bad thanks how are you
1: excellent sure. what's on your mind
3: um i'm calling for my brother he's 66 years old he's worked for this company for 20 21 years um They offered him a buyout in December 2022, and he had some health concerns going on. So he said, I can't do this and give me a copy. They wouldn't give him a copy. They just want to sign a piece of paper. (laughs) So um, he's still dealing with the health conditions. Come January, middle of January, they told him, we want you to sign this new work contract and we want you to retire. And the buyout's off the table. Wow.
2: Yeah. yeah, well, there's there's a lot of things wrong in that scenario, uh, Jackie. I mean, number one, he doesn't have to take a buyout or retire or do any of the or sign a new contract, for that matter. If he's already employed, then he already has a contract. He already has an employment agreement. Uh, and all he has to do is say, no, no, thank you. I'm fine with what I have. So really what they're ultimately doing is kind of a constructive dismissal. If they're forcing him out in a way. Uh, OK, yeah. I mean, he definitely doesn't have to retire and he definitely doesn't have to sign any contract. He could tell them that. I mean, does that mean they may terminate him? Possibly. But at that point, he would be entitled to his common law damages. He would be entitled to, you know, based on what you said about his age and his length of service, something like 20, 21 months.
3: Okay, so what does he do now? Because they're bugging him every day to sign the contract. And he's not a very strong, you know, individual. That's why I'm calling
2: I understand. Well, you know, he has to just kind of stand up for his own rights here and tell them that he won't sign it and put the ball in their court. They're telling him he has to do something. The reality is he doesn't have to do anything. Uh, They're the ones who have to make a decision on how they want to handle his employment.
3: Okay, so that's his best next move. Just say no and wait for them to make a move. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Assuming I'm assuming he's working now. So like he just keeps telling them that, yeah, no, I'm happy. I'll continue working here. If you guys want, I'm not retiring. I'm not resigning. I'm not taking this buyout. If you guys want to do something, you know, that's your prerogative. You're the employer. But at the end of the day, I'm happy to continue working. Okay.
1: Okay. Now, Debbie, if uh, things go down, if they end up saying, okay, then you're terminated, that's okay, that's that's no need to panic. In fact, that's probably a good thing. You can uh, get uh, your brother to to call Stan for sure, and thats eight five five 821 1-855-821-5900. I'll give that to you again, and I'll repeat it throughout the show, but it's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, 821 5900 and the email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. It's simple, help at ca. so please have your brother uh, reach out for sure. Uh, when uh, things go down or otherwise, for that matter. James, thanks for hanging on, pal. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. How are you today? Beauty. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Um, I
4: have a question uh, about possibly filing for wrongful dismissal. Uh, I was with the company for three years. <laughs> uh, I'm 51. I turned it off as full-time. I had a few medical challenges last year, so I ha- did have to take some time off. Some of it was spontaneous, some of it was prearranged, but starting in the new year, they mentioned because of the absenteeism, they, they switched me from 40 hours full-time to part-time 24 hours, which means I can't pay for my medication, I can't pay for my rent, I can't pay for this or that, uh, so I'm just curious, uh, are they allowed to do that?
2: Uh, They're absolutely not allowed to do that. There's two things really wrong with that. Number one is that in and of itself is a constructive dismissal. They can't just reduce your income and your hours by nearly 50% and expect you to just accept it, although you obviously have that option. Um, And if if you're saying this happened at the beginning of the year, then it's kind of a a ticking clock because the longer you wait, the more likely it is that the court will find that you have actually accepted the changes. But the other issue... Okay, sorry, go if, ahead. Uh, yeah, just the well, other issue that I, I, you mentioned is that... Obviously, most
4: people don't know what their rights are, and uh, because I, was, I couldn't afford the medication, it kind of messed up my brain a little bit. But, uh, but now I listen to your show on a regular basis, and I find they can't switch you from full-time to part-time without your written permission.
2: No, absolutely not, as I'm saying. And, and those are all good reasons why the, a judge might will say that you, you can spend a little bit longer. Everything is contextual. Ultimately, if you have medical issues, a judge is going to take that into consideration. But the other thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned is the fact that they did this specifically because you missed work due to medical issues. That's Correct. discrimination. That's them discriminating against you on the basis of your medical disability. Right? Okay,
4: okay. So, uh, you know, once I'm on my medication, I'm fine. I can work no problem. But obviously, it mm-hmm. wouldn't keep you there for three years if you can't do the job. They would have gotten ready in the first couple months. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to meet with the boss tomorrow because uh, I work at, um, and I'll be honest, I work at a Fresh Coat, and it's a mm-hmm. franchise, and uh, I'm going to meet with him tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to mention, you know, uh, what's going on with my file. Like, am I on a a part-time schedule, or can we renegotiate and put me on a full-time schedule again?
2: Well, it's, you just have to really make it clear that you're not accepting the changes. That you can't agree to work uh, part-time hours if that's the decision you're making, and tell yeah. him that if he's and if he's not willing to give you full-time hours, then you're going to have to essentially leave and claim uh, claim constructive dismissal. And as well as I mentioned, there's a strong human rights element going on here as well.
4: Okay. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll have, I think he wants to meet me tomorrow. Um, he texts me, so, and that's fine, because I'm going to work tonight. But if things kind of go, don't worry. See, the thing is, I really like the guy. And they like me, but they said, you know what, you just missed too many days. I'm Like, I got nothing to do with it. I can't help it, you know? When well, you're then, about and that's kind of the exact point. you're in a hospital, like, what are you going to do? Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's the exact point, you know. Even if they're, Unexpected absences. that's not your fault if it's a true medical condition. If you have a doctor's note, then that's ultimately, you have a right to miss those days due to a medical issue and they just kind of have to accommodate you and accept it.
1: Appreciate the call, uh, brother. We're going to let you go there and continue on. you want to reach out to Stan now and have a phone call off offer. You can always do that and continue that talk at 1-855-821-5900. We'll get into a short break here. Come back with more the Employment Law Show. Hang on.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: And welcome back! Thanks for sticking around for that wee little break, and we'll continue. Yeah, Bill, you're up next. Thanks for calling in. How are you? Uh,
4: What is the longest period of time an employer can offer a prospective employee? Ten years, fifteen, twenty,
3: on one contract.
2: Uh, The longest period of time. I think there's a prohibition on anything longer than nine years.
1: Good. That's good to know. Thank you. All right. Sure. I'm not sure what that was all about. Short and sweet. The yeah, <laughs> seriously. In, out, boom, done. We'll get into our emails as promised. Uh Bob. So first says, Hey guys, my employer gave me a month of working notice. I have an interview in Halliburton, and she denied my request for time off for that interview. Is that allowed? What do you think?
2: Uh no, absolutely not, Bob. Ultimately the whole point of working notice, John, is to give a person the opportunity to go and find that next job. That's Really, the purpose of notice in employment law in general, it's to give you that financial safety of having income while you're finding your next job. So if you have that opportunity and your employer is actually denying you the opportunity while you're on working notice, that, that doesn't at that point count as true working notice. And in fact, is essentially, I would say renders that work environment itself a bit toxic. Right. Uh, and I think gives Bob the, the opportunity to basically, you know, say, I'm not sticking around here. Uh, You're not doing this in good faith and walk away without necessarily affecting his entitlements.
1: James up next says, guys have been off uh, for a week with a cold. I told my employer yesterday, I feel good enough to return next week. And they told me that I would have to get a COVID test showing I was negative or they could not let me come back to work. Do I still have to go for these COVID tests?
2: You know, this has been something that's been a shifting target over the last few years. Uh, You know, a lot of regulations around it. So I understand why people are confused with the rules. And I believe at this point, your employer really can't ask for that. Uh, I don't even think you have to be out of the workplace unless you're symptomatic. And that's only for a few days. Uh, So uh, really, I think in, in 2023, at this point, it's probably inappropriate for your employer to be asking for these types of tests uh, and I don't see why it would be necessary, considering the you know the rules of the government.
1: Uh, still time if you want to uh, give us a call here live, and I'd love to chat with you. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address. We're uh, getting all these emails from Alexis. Up next says Love the Show guys' question. The go- uh, Ontario government website says I have to wait five years before I'm eligible for severance. Is that even true?
2: <laughs> well, no. Yes and no. Technically speaking, when we talk about severance, it's something that means something very specific and something very ambiguous. So When it's not surprising to me that when she went to on the on the government website, like the Ministry of Labor, the Ministry of Labor is only going to tell you what your rights are under the Employment Standards Act. And under that piece of legislation, severance means something very specific. It specifically means if somebody has been employed for a company for over five years and that company has a payroll of over two point five million dollars, then that employee, if they're terminated, would get an additional week per year. Up to a maximum of 26 weeks of severance but from a common law perspective john when we talk about severance we often talk about it interchangeably with words like notice or wrongful dismissal damages or without cause damages or things like that and that's where it means really something ambiguous just the amount of money that you're owed at law so you know it's again not surprising that someone going on a government website would see something like that because that is what severance means under the act but ultimately, that's not technically true. You are entitled to, you know, colloquially severance money for your termination, uh, regardless of whether you have more than five years, less than five years.
1: What, confusion from a government website? Surely you <laughs> jest, my friend. Uh, Megan is up next. These guys who worked for a company for three years before I was on maternity leave for a year. I returned January 2020 until being laid off due to COVID in March. I'm wondering if the time I was off for maternity and now due to COVID counts towards my service with the company. Good question.
2: Yeah, uh, great question, Megan, and pretty simple answer. The answer is that it absolutely does count. Whether you're on maternity leave or you're on a temporary layoff, unpaid absence, whatever you want to call it, you are still technically an, an employee of that company, even if they're not paying you for that time. So in this situation, by the time she returns, she's probably closer to a five to six-year
1: employee. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Just do the basic math, which I can't do, but you just did it. So thanks, I I <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, 416-870-6400. Still have open lines and still have time for, uh, for your calls here for the remainder of the show this evening. Liz, sending an email along, help employment employmentlawyer.ca says my partner's insurance company denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the doctor declaring she was unfit to work her company now wants her to return but she's very stressed out of her uh, out' very stressed out and her doctor is against it what can she do?
2: Well, this almost sounds like a more appropriate uh, question for the disability, disability show. show. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, I'll take a crack at it, John. And all, what I would say is, I mean, first of all, she can take action against her insurance company uh, just because the insurance company has deemed you, you know, that you're fit to return to work. Uh, remember what their incentives are. Their incentives are not to pay you money, ultimately, because that's how they make money. Uh, and they deny many, many claims with that somewhat in mind. So that's why people like uh, Savannah and Albert on the disability side would, would essentially sue that company, claiming that no under the policy, they do have to cover you. Uh, from an employment law perspective though, Liz, just because your insurance company denies your claim, as long as your doctor is supportive of the fact that you're off, you need to be off of work, your employer can't just force you to return. It's ultimately up to the medical professional who's actually evaluated you to determine whether or not you're able to co- go back to work.
1: Yeah, so it's not. I mean, your 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 doctor is always the gatekeeper of your health, and they have the final say whether you're fit to go to work or not. And that deal that that goes with the insurance company, whether they're cutting you off or denying you, and goes with your workplace, especially they can't just say, no, you got to come back." We don't care what your medical team says, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The only real step that your employer can take is if there's conflicting medical evidence, John. Then your employer could potentially ask you and to do what's called an IME or independent medical examination. Uh, which they have to pay for and get an independent doctor to do the evaluation. But those are, you know, again, it has to be, uh, there has to be a real basis for that type of request. It can't just be, well, we don't like what your doctor is telling us.
1: Yeah, and the fact that your insurance company is paying for this doctor kind of washes the independent part out of it, but that's another topic for a different show, as, yeah. uh, as you said, right? Uh, I want to get down <laughs> to Jane here. Jane uh, writes in, says, Guys, my husband had been on LTD for almost two years, brain cancer. His company will be terminating his extended health care benefits once he has been on LTD for two years. Is this legal?
2: So oftentimes, Jane, when, you, when you're when you talking about insurance uh, pro- benefits like that. It's based on a contract between yourself, the employer or the employer technically and the insurance company. And And very often they have provisions in there that say how long you, know, you could be on LTD. Uh, this is actually the insurance company that would probably be changing the definition of what long-term disability is because often at two years, the definition changes from being able to do your job to being able to do any job. Mm-hmm. And they often, you know, use that as an opportunity to say, "Oh, well, you can go flip burgers at McDonald's, and so off, uh, you're no longer on our insurance, and off you go." Uh, again, this is where the this the team on the disability side would get involved and say, "No, that's not, you know, we don't agree with your assessment, and we're going to sue you and fight for that your husband's rights in that situation." But it's it's not necessarily the company that's terminating the benefits by the sounds of it so much as is the insurance company changing the definition of what disability means and cutting your husband off.
1: Yeah, it goes to the any occupation definition of two years generally, but again, it's it's not their call. Again, it goes back to your mm-hmm. doctor and your medical team, whether you're fit to go back to work or otherwise, or accommodation if that comes into into play, Jane. By the way, you can reach out uh, any time to stand and have a further discussion. You can also flip it over to the disability guys across the hall. That's one 5900 Still got a couple minutes left. Moving on down to, let's get Tony's email. It says, guys, uh, having had received a recent severance, would I be able to apply for EI without any penalties or clawbacks?
2: So the best way to handle it, Tony, is just to go ahead and apply for EI and EI will essentially assess whether you're eligible to start receiving those payments now or you know if you've gotten a severance often what happens is in your record of employment your employer will tell EI how much money you received for termination pay or pay in lieu of notice and then they will uh, make a determination of how many weeks that money represents and tell you okay you are now entitled to EI 10 weeks from now or whatever that nice. number is but the, ultimately the only real way to know and the best thing to do is to apply and apply right away because if you wait too long you start lo- losing your insurable hours and oh. if you if you wait too long because they're basically assessed on the count, a 12 month basis so as each day passes and you're unemployed you're it's another day that of that you've lost insurable hours i think once you ca- get past the 6 to 7 month mark you're going, to run, you're going to have so uh, few insurable hours that you may no longer qualify for EI. That's why you need to really apply as soon as possible.
1: Uh, Tatha says, my employer refused to give me a raise. Can I quit and use constructive dismissal?
2: Uh, if, only, if only we could all do that, Tatha. Yeah. But unfortunately, there, there really is no legal obligation for your employer to give you a raise. Uh, that ultimately comes down to whatever you can negotiate and whatever leverage you can use to get it. Uh, the the only legal obligation is, you know, when we talk about em- the Employment Standards Act in this context is minimum wage. Other than that, it doesn't say how much they have to pay you. It just says they can't pay you less than that.
1: Let's get uh, Carrie on the line here. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good. Go ahead. What's Hi. your question? Good. I
3: just have a quick question. After a couple of years ago, my husband was considering taking stress leave from work um, just from mistreatment at work and, and people that were very stressful to work with and um, he was speaking to a psychologist about his problem and um, they you know when you do go back to work after that your life might be a living hell at work basically it might they might make it really hard for you sort of as a punishment and i was wondering um, if there's anything the law can do to protect you against that
2: Yeah, there's uh, several things he can do. I I mean, it depends kind of what he wants to achieve and what his goal is, whether it's to come back and make things better or essentially, you know, fight for a severance and leave. If he wants to come back and make things better, then he can deal with it. You know, he would probably try to escalate from talking to HR to going to the Ministry of Labor and filing a complaint based on harassment. And they would actually come in and do an investigation. If his goal is to kind of get parachute out of there, then that's a classic constructive dismissal. I mean, that's a toxic work environment by the sounds of it. Uh, it just comes down to gathering the evidence and being able to prove the case.
3: Okay, so taking notes about what's happening and when and things like that.
2: Yeah. Taking notes, getting you know, writing emails, getting in writing. Um, not letting them essentially you don't want to let them just have oral conversations anytime they have a, a conversation with him. He should be going back and either making doc, documenting contemporaneous notes to himself uh, or really writing them emails and saying you just told me this and you know that's disrespectful and I don't disagree and or whatever the email the issue is.
1: Gary appreciate the call that's where we got to leave it for tonight thank you so much everybody who called in and uh, and decided to get on air we appreciate that you want to move on afterwards and talk to stand you can do so 1855 Eight two one fifty nine hundred. help at employmentlawyer.ca, and the website you can always go to, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, employment law show.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.